I'm Erin Brubaker, and this is Love, Loss, Wine, and the Gods, a Tarragon Theatre podcast. This episode, Conversations with Nina Arsenault. I had the great pleasure of having several conversations with the performance artist Nina Arsenault uh, about our experience of the Tarragon's 2014 production of The Ugly One. The first time we spoke about this was directly after seeing the dress rehearsal for the show. Uh, and then following this, we had a conversation in the company of a Tarragon audience. And finally, we had a telephone conversation. I was in the National Gallery in Ottawa, and Nina was in a hotel room in Toronto. I'm sitting in the National Gallery of Canada, just outside Janet Cardiff's installation, 40-part motet, which uses Thomas Tallis's, uh piece, Spem in Allium, which is Latin for hope in any other, um, which I feel is an appropriate thing somehow to be surrounded by um, as I'm about to call Nina Arsenault to continue the conversation we've been having spurred by the Theatre Smash, Tarragon Theatre co-production of The Ugly One. Uh, In 2012, Intellect Books published Transperforming Nina Arsenault, an unreasonable body of work edited by Judith Rudikoff, Uh, and that book contains um, poetry by Nina and documentation and pontification of her piece, The Silicone Diaries, which which toured extensively and and maps her journey of over 70 surgeries, along with other life experiences and stories. Uh, And through Nina's work as an artist and her work at at Living, I I think she's uniquely qualified to speak to matters of beauty in the world and and notions about those things, which is why um, we invited her to have have some conversations at Tehran. I'm I'm starting to have those feelings again that I had before that we were talking about that are like good feelings to grapple with. Um, You know, when we were speaking before and and you said um, that the way that you looked... um, Changed the ways in which you are loved, and Absolutely. I I had a total reaction to this that was like I wanting to yell, that's not true, but then I had to examine that and and I think what I said to you before is that like it maybe actually true. it's more accurate to say I don't want that to be true. Yeah, well, um, I think I'm a very specific case in that, um, you know, the because I'm because I'm transgendered. Um, so I used to present as a male and, um, then I presented as a, you know, as a woman. Um, if I presented as a woman, but I still had my, my very old masculine face when I was in my twenties, um, it really kind of was impossible to, to be loved by a straight man. There's just something, there's just something about it. He could love me personally, but not romantically. Not romantically, and and not that kind of love that has eros in it, the sort of erotic and romantic love. Just for the sheer fact that I did not look the way he needed me to look like. You could say, oh, he could do a whole bunch of work and go to therapy and acknowledge that beauty is like this culturally constructed thing. Is the ugly one the person who has all this plastic surgery because they think it's going to make their life better? Um... Uh, 
Or is the ugly one this, like, kind of homogenized culture that totally agrees unequivocally that this person, this main character in this play, this guy, is ugly? In a certain way, that that is one... That, that that's that, that's kind of a oneness of being. Everyone has decided he is ugly. From he, and the, and the, the the tragedy of it is, I guess, is that he doesn't even know he's ugly. Probably, why doesn't he know that that everyone thinks he's ugly? Because he because the way he's always treated by people, he thinks that's just how people act. He thinks that's just interactions. So when people are like, didn't you kind of know? Like, we only kind of look at you this way, or we don't let you do this. He was like, I thought that's how, probably, I thought that's how people looked at each other. Because that's the only way he's ever been looked at. In in the same way that that, that, that person, that, that guy or girl, who's always been welcomed in every room that they've walked into. And I don't just mean accepted. Yeah. That person who's always been, every time they have walked into a room, that, that whatever, I think back to say maybe that golden boy in my high school or whatever, every time he walked into a room, people's eyes lit up in a way that he was not just accepted in the room. People were happy he was there. He was welcomed, not in a kind of like, you're welcome, in a in a visceral sensual way people's eyes lit when they saw him he was golden that person just thinks that person in the same way might just be like um that person might say to me like well just get a sense of common sense like whatever if people don't like you don't get over it or because that's how they've al- they've always lived in a w- in a way that people have just accepted and welcomed them. Um, so, you know, I have to ask myself: Is that the ugly one? That person who has always been welcomed into every room they've ever been into, and then says to me, "Okay, whatever. We get that you've had all the surgery. We get that you're trans." But can you not just have a little bit of common sense and understand that um, it's actually the way I see it from my perspective? Mm -hmm. I'm like, I think for me personally, that is the ugly one who does not know they are ugly. Or or let's like move it into the category of art for a moment Um, that you said this you said to me that you you felt that at a certain point um when your surgical body um changed in the ways that you can less easily predict than um uh oh yeah going through like, it all when i was like oh my god like i i came out of a surgery and i was like oh my god this looks amazing i didn't know it was only going to last for 6 months do you know yeah. or i didn't know it was mm-hmm. only going to last for a year mm-hmm. um you know, and you don't then, know what the layers of, of aging and time will do to a surgical body in the way that you might be able to a bit more easily predict it um, in... Well, I think, yeah, I think that's it. Like when you have, you know, when you've had a lot of surgery, people say like, um, well, whatever, you did this, so so you deserve this type of behavior or 
you know, you deserve this type of reaction. It's like, I didn't know it was going to go down like this. But what I wanted to ask you about really is when you said that you felt like when it did change, that you felt that your works were cast into doubt because your body oh, was Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, did a, because I did a play called The Silicone Diaries, which was seven monologues about my relationship with silicone. And um, I guess I conceived of it at a certain point. I just saw at the beginning that things were shifting when I first conceived of it in 2008. And so I thought, well, if I ever want to do this piece, I should do it now. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, you do a play about your relationship with plastic surgery and you look beautiful. It's got a certain feeling. Um, And then um, because the play got, uh, it got remounted, I think, for like four and a half years, sort of like with six months breaks in between, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like over those four and a half years, I, I mean, I had a different face at the end of it. Um, I, I, I suppose that I, like when I talk about like the artistic works were cast into doubt, I, I mean more from the people who didn't even see them, Do you know, just maybe the more for people who see reviews or whatever online. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. In that, I think anyone who, who may have walked into the theater, um, got a real experience. I, I think whether they agreed with me or not or whatever, I don't care. But they they got they got a real experience and they got my truth of it, um, and how they take that is how they take that. Um, that being said, I think that um, you know a poor person should be able to do a play about capitalism. Um, a person who's been disenfranchised and disadvantaged should be able to make statements about power. In fact, they're uniquely positioned. So so I I, I felt as a woman and as a trans woman. Um, you know, if the subject matter of the play was beauty, it, it it should not matter how beautiful I was or was not, that this was a valid exploration. Um, I don't think a woman has to be stunningly beautiful to, to do a play about the power of beauty or or, or alternatively really really ugly or 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 what society would consider like not a beautiful body to 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 critique the experience of it i think that um beauty is you know a powerful force in culture and and whatever and people we all respond to it um um in particular i think in female bodies i think there's a there's an extra expectation um and so any woman should be able to explore that. And mm-hmm. so so I never felt that the that the works weren't valid, but I think because my face was shifting, people I think after the fact people thought that I was putting on a fake show or, or I, I, I heard various things that um you know, I was only beautiful on the internet and in photographs because because my face photographed well but in in person it it wasn't um which is all a, all about a demand for authenticity even in a absolutely concept. but but my authenticity was this is the way it photographs this is the way it looks in person like it mm-hmm. and this is the way i i am when i'm technologically mediated and 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 not even airbrushed just a mm-hmm. photograph well and, and i think you're, you're questioning these things all the time i mean when we were sitting in the tarragon the other day you you were touching your hair, um, which which is not your grown in hair. It's a wig. 
hit yeah, the wooden leg, and you were you were holding your hair, and you were saying, "This People is real. I'm touching it." It's real. <laughs> you said, "This is yeah, it's real. I'm touching it." You said, or I say, "Like, would you love me more if my hair was real?" And then they say, "No, no, no. I don't, I don't care. You know, I wouldn't care. I'd love you anyway. You're fabulous." But then sometimes I just. I, just for a moment, I correct it afterwards, but I might lie in that moment. People say, it's like, is that all your real hair? I'm like, yeah. And then they're like, oh, my God. Which has a very different vibration and feeling than, um, oh, no, I would love you anyways. You're fabulous. Right? It's, 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 and it's like, I think that, for me, that's empathy. You know, it's it's very provocative, too. Do you know, it, has, it definitely has equal parts like dark, no doubt about it. Um, but in, so a, do you, do in a certain way, I felt that they had annihilated each other's judgments about their own bodies by making themselves the same. And so these two people could actually see each other, and in doing that, they loved, they loved themselves and saw, I felt that what I saw was two people seeing that we are all connected, that these are just, they're just bodies, they're just, they're suits, and that they saw that they were one, they saw that they were connected, they, they, they saw that they were in the pool together. Um, and there's a, that for me was the meeting point of the sacred and the profane. The fact that it was cosmetic surgery, which I, you know one could call that profane, that could bring these two people to, to see that, to have that moment together. That being said, that that moment probably could not last because things would slip and slide. But how, how just I, I just felt like how expansive that is to think that that thing could see to get them uh -huh. to get them to see that the the artist Orlando who's had like extensive plastic surgery herself and, and and I agree with her in this is that the outside has never matched for me the outside has never matched the inside when I was young I felt old when I was when I had the body of a man I felt like a woman when I, um, you know, had the body of a transsexual, I felt like a, a, a non-transsexual woman inside. And when I had, uh, you know, a beautiful exterior, I still felt ugly on the inside. And then when I, I uh, there was a time, you know, whatever, with the tan and all that stuff, I felt like I had this kind of, you know, pornographic bombshell love going on but inside I felt like I was a philosopher and an intellectual having you know these profound experiences but looked you know look looked like a bimbo um, so I never you know so what she says is that the outside never matches the inside um, something we've talked about recently is is the idea of um, beauty as a fixed point and that it can't be. And so yeah, um, that's, um, that's, and that that's maybe a good entry point into talking totally about you. um your your surgeries and 
um, your sort of quest and research and practice of beauty seeking and examining mm. through the body. Oh, wow, um, I love that. And, and that's not... Um, I, I really loved hearing you talk about, uh, through our conversations, um, the idea of of it, uh, beauty not being fixed. Even if you, even if you were at a moment, you talk about the golden period of of your surgeries and your beauty, um, mm. and but that that couldn't, even if you never changed, it couldn't stay constant. And I found that really fascinating. You know what? That's I, what I find very interesting about what you just said is this: um, in a certain way, the literary works of like someone like Plato, for instance they are in a kind of way eternal because what he said, he said. And we all, I think most people, have a a kind of reasonable understanding of um, empathy in that you can trust what the words mean. You, you, you trust that he's speaking from his heart and um, you should take the words at their literal meaning. Um, but then something, and so in a way that that those literary works are, in, it, they they have great lasting power. But then something like beauty, I mean, I don't even just think you know whatever anyone's own personal beauty fades or survives. I think you know the standards of beauty through through history are so they're so malleable. They have been so malleable. Um, so. Um, you know, that's that's very interesting to me. Body fascism, or what we call body fascism, is um, it's not just one thing. Body fascism is being told, I have to be this, no I can't, I have to be that, or no I have to love my natural body, no I have to look perfect, or no these are natural bodies, but those aren't natural bodies, or you know, that's, you know, natural looking makeup, or there, there, there's all these different confusions about it, and um, I actually believe that um, um, these schizophrenic messages are, and what I mean by schizophrenic is I just mean by all these mixed messages, these contradictory messages, and sometimes even coming from the same company. Sure. Right, so even maybe the same company will 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 define beauty in in so many different ways. Um, I think that that is, I don't know if it's intentional. I think sometimes it is, and I think sometimes it just happens. But I think though that kind of massive mixed messaging is actually a strategy of capitalism um, to keep people going, like. Oh no, I have to buy this or no no I have to be that if I'm going to make money or okay this is what makes money and then in culture keeps changing what the ideal of beauty is very very quickly and um there's so many companies in competition for our money that they're all trying to deliver us the most potent or vital message because I think that 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 attracts our our spending dollar. Well, the the play, The Ugly One, that started this whole conversation um, that we've been having uh, has been described as uh, depicting a narcissistic world obsessed with beauty, image, and plastic surgery. And um, I, I think you've spoken about how narcissism is a strategy for capitalism um, so that we have, speaking of mixed messages, we have a um, uh, 
a lot of well I um, think that yeah brings up the question that um I mean I guess it sort of says like well what is narcissism to that I mean and that's the really again I mean I don't think the play is about narcissism I think the play is narcissism and hmm. I think that's that's very it's it's a different it's a very important different Can you talk a bit more about that like how it's narcissism how you see it as narcissism well, just the idea that, just well, number one, just the idea that narcissism, just as a word, is so loaded with with cultural meanings. I think if you want to, um, you know, discount someone, you say they're a narcissist. Um, that's a that's a really, but like. I think it's very important to differentiate between like kind of malignant, malevolent narcissism and narcissism, and we could even separate that from vanity. Um, do you know? Because this is a, an, an artistic piece, I think it merits serious intellectual thought. Um, and so, just to say, like, oh, well, that's narcissistic. That that always sounds like a, a, a negative put down. Um, but if we look at, say, narcissism as like an, an outer husk or an outer coating on top of um, an interior that uh, is not revealing itself, then in a certain way we have to all acknowledge, or we have to all acknowledge that we're doing that sometime, and that the the very idea of business thrives on that. Um, do you know? Because no one says. Um, buy this product, we're putting it in this like splashy um, commercial because we're trying to stimulate your senses um, because we want your money. And also we maybe think that this is like, it smells really nice too, right? No no one ever says that, right? It's always, there's always this outer casing. And um, I'm sure there's tons of people who would who would respond to that and say like, well, not me, I'm totally authentic. Um but uh, e- even that is a kind of, even that is a kind of narcissism, I think, because because I don't believe it. I do think that um, going into the theater is the most civilized uh, way for us to experience each other. Thank you so much, Nina, for all the time and thought you've put into um, conversations around these, well, life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, I, like I said, I think this play has an incredible capacity to heal whatever, all of us are ugly. Do you know? I think that actually can be actually super, super empowering. Yeah. How about, how about just acknowledging that we all have an ugly one inside of us? This has been an episode of Love, Loss, Wine, and the Gods, a Tarragon Theatre podcast. Many thanks to Nina Arsenault for joining us. And thanks to you for listening. <laughs>